1 John 5, 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Praise you, Jesus. Father, thank you for this day, for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for this time together, your children, to come closer into, to you, to learn how to be in your presence and to cultivate an awareness of our great relationship with you and to be fully dependent upon you to accomplish all the things that you have planned for us to do and to be by your grace through faith in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Everyone, that means not just some people, but everybody, who has been born of God, Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you've been born again. So we know that that's the necessity. We have to receive this salvation, this grace of salvation by faith. But once we do, everyone who has received it overcomes the world. But it, we look around and we see Christians everywhere that looks like the world has overcome them. Or is in the process of overcoming them. <laughs> Based on their testimony and their believing the doctor's reports and the banker's reports and the global weather reports, so to speak. <laughs> but the Lord says everyone who's born again overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith, our faith, our positive response to God's grace is what has been given to us as a gift from God. The grace is his part. The faith is our part now. We have to use it, even though he gave it to us, so it's all his part really, but we have to use or exercise the faith that he's given us to obtain the things provided through the atonement of Jesus Christ and the spilling of his precious blood. We have to receive those by faith. But how do we see ourselves as Christians? That's the question I want to ask today. Why aren't we walking in the victory? Because we're not using our faith. There are many great preachers. I call them great. Kenneth Hagin and others who have had encounters with the Lord. That has he has made it clear to them that he, he wanted them to teach faith. Teach his people faith. Not preaching and screaming and getting goosebumps, but teaching them the principles the, of the, the laws, the spiritual laws, the, especially the law of faith that God has put in place to benefit his children. But how do we see ourselves? I'm, I'm convinced there's a huge identity crisis in the, I know there is in the world, but in the church where there shouldn't be. The world looks exactly like the church in many cases. and I mean, the church looks exactly like the world. It said that backwards. And that's not just a criticism. It's just an observation that saddens me. And I believe it saddens God. Because we're not 
walking by the faith. He said, when I return, will I even find faith? So it's faith that he's looking for. Faith that is necessary to overcome the world and to walk in the victory that he died to provide us with. Go to Numbers, way back in the Old Testament. Fourth book of the Bible. Chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And I just want to show you a picture of opposing viewpoints of some people who type in shadow wise in the old covenant though they didn't have the faith or the salvation that we have now God was working with them and this is a picture of some people who didn't walk by faith and a couple who did this is when they were they were at Kadesh which was always seemed to be the launching point when they were about to go into the promised land And God told Joshua to send spies into the new land that he had given them. I'm going to just read some of this, starting at the 13th chapter of Numbers, first first verse. The Lord spoke to Moses, Moses, I said Joshua, sorry, saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. For each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord. Go down to verse 17, because now it just names all of their names, and it's good to know that, but for time's sake, we'll go to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said to them, Go up into the Negev, and go up into the hill country, and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether there are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went. Up and spied out the land, this is verse 21, from the wilderness of Zen to Rehob near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. It names everywhere they went. And the descendants of Anak were there. The descendants of Anak were the Anakites, they were giants. They were a descendant of the Nephilim, which. Angels had came who were fallen angels who came and laid with women of the earth, human women, and they had offspring and they were giants. And they, in the, that time there were giants in the land. And so these Anakites were living there. And they came to the valley of Eshcol and cut down from there a, a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They were so large. And they brought some pomegranates and figs and so forth. I want to go down to verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they spied it out for 40 days. They returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel. 
in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So far, so good, right? Verse 28, However, nothing nothing matters until the but, right? However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. There are giants there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all these ites. All these are pictures of demons, demonic forces that hindered us before we came into the promised land of our salvation as Christians. These are all people, these are all these ites we're supposed to get rid of, just like they were supposed to get rid of. And not be afraid of them. Amen? Nevertheless, they name all that. And then verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy It out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And we seemed so also to them. (laughs) So then the crowd, the congregation raised up, they wanted to... Turn on Moses and Aaron then. And they were going to. They said. Starting at the second verse. And the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Of the 14th chapter. The whole congregation said to them. What that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or what that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land. To fall by the sword. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Listen, you don't ever want to go back in your salvation. Jesus said, once you put your hands to the plow, if you look back, you're unfit for the kingdom of God. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So they were really plotting against God's leadership, against his plan for the promised land and against all that he was asking them to do, knowing that he had shown himself to them in so many miraculous ways before and up to then, and they still were in doubt and unbelief. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jebunah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. 
But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Well, for time's sake, I'll just say that Moses and Aaron prayed and intervened for an intercession for the people. And God did sway his anger. And if you'll go down to verse 20, it says, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live and as I as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So he sent them on their way. He decided to spare the children of Israel from destroying them, wiping them out and starting over with Moses as he had threatened to do up on Mount Sinai. But every time Moses interceded for the people, God showed mercy. He is a merciful God. Even though the Old Testament looks like it's filled with wrath and judgment, the thread through the entire word of God is always about his grace, always about his mercy. These people had seen all the miracles that he had performed in Egypt. They had seen all the things that he had done, delivered them from and provided for them time and again. Yet they continued to complain, see only the negative side, never the positive. They wanted to come against his leadership. They threatened to choose another leader and go back to Egypt was always a picture of someone who's come to the Lord and their salvation and turned back. And Jesus said, if you put your hands to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. And so he had mercy on them, but he said, none of those who complained against me or saw the wonderful things that I did are going to go into the promised land. They're going to die here in the wilderness. So no one from 20 years old up lived. Everyone 20 and down, they survived because they hadn't been with them in Egypt. And so by the time they went in, they were 60 years old. Even the young, the, uh, the oldest ones who had been in the desert were 60. Verse 36, and the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague, according to the Lord. Those 
those spies that had the bad report, of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. The two who had the good report. The two who got him. The two who said no matter what they saw that came against them, no matter how big the giants were in the land and how tough it would be to overcome the the fortified towns that they lived in, it didn't matter what opposed them in this world because God was with them. The others had forgotten this. Because of it, they didn't benefit from it. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 1 John 5, 4. If we're born again, if we've received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we have the victory. We're not trying to obtain a victory. We're coming from the victory. We only have to defend what we already have. You say, well, I don't feel like I have anything. Well, that's why you don't. (laughs) That picture in Numbers is a great example. I'm going to get me a a painting of of that, uh, or a copy of that great painting of the the spies looking out over the, the land that they went to spy out. Because this life and our success in the Christian life has a great deal to do with if we in the Joshua and Caleb camp or we're with the other ten spies who had the negative report. I would like to think that the body of Christ has that good of a ratio, two out of twelve have a, a faithful outlook on life, but I don't know if it's that good. I'll just say that it is because that's optimistic. But I sure would like to see us get to 12 out of 12 because the church looks awfully like the world and because of it, they suffer just like the world. Because of it, they have the same divorce rate as the world. Because of it, they live in poverty and sickness just like the world. Thank God for doctors because if it weren't for doctors, all the Christians would be dead. Even though prosperity and healing is part of the inheritance of the children of God. I don't say these things to pick on anybody. Don't want anybody to throw away their medicine or not go to the doctor. Hey, God still loves us the same. We're not going to do anything to change his opinion of us. It's just when we have the opinion of the ten spies with the negative report, our opinion of God is not what it should be. We won't love God like we should be. He'll always love us, but it affects us. The things that we magnify are the things that are going to have dominance in our lives. We're spiritual beings with a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions riding around in a body. And the way that we're made, we can only magnify and glorify one thing at a time. 
we can't glorify or think on or dwell upon or magnify sickness and healing at the same time. Sorry for an example. God or the devil? I used to know a preacher who said, anytime you're going through financial hardship, don't ever, ever talk about lack. Don't ever talk about your poverty or your need. Talk about the provision. Talk about what God is doing. Say the money will come. If you don't like what you see, you need to look at what you say. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul, matter of fact, I'm going to go over there and probably back up a couple of scriptures. I really like that passage of scripture. How's everybody doing? Amen. Y'all look wonderful. Let's see. I was going to read verse 10. But I'm going to back up to verse 8. Indeed, Paul said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Now that right there is where most people would change the end of the sentence. I've suffered the loss of all things. And then they'd go on and tell you about everything they've lost and, and how they're the, the big victim for it. And you should have such pity on them and probably write them a big old government check. After all, they've suffered and they should be rewarded for it. That's not how God sees it. He never intended for us to make a God out of a government. There's no faith in that. God said, I'll bless everything you put your hands to. Some people don't want to put their hands to anything and they want that to be blessed. They're not participating in the spiritual laws that God has put in place to achieve their need to be provided for. God has already done it all. He's not doing any more than he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He loves us and he wants us to benefit. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. It's all there on account for us. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is God pleased with? He's pleased with, with, with us prospering and being in good health. Beloved, I, I, I wish that thou, you would be in good health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Isn't that what he said? Where was it? 
Counted all loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He didn't care. He lost everything and he said, and it was, I counted as the King James calls it dung. Like, you know, what? So rubbish. They made it, they cleaned it up here in the English Standard Version. In order, why? Why would you lose everything and call it a good thing? Like none of that matters. He tells you why. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that from God that depends on faith Faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The same power that raised Christ, this power he's talking about, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us and gives life to this mortal body. Do we believe that? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul understood that good people go to hell. <laughs> Saved people, redeemed people go to heaven. I feel such a burden for all the air quotes good people that I know that really based on worldly endeavors and a good heart toward their neighbor and doing all the things that Jesus said. You know, Jesus wrote the golden rule. It wasn't something that came from a, a children's book author. Honestly, I may know more people of the world that treat people better than I do from the church. And that's why my heart is after creating disciples to teach people who they are in Christ, to learn how to benefit from the grace of God through faith. Because until the Children of God are discipled in the truth of God. They're going to continue to walk in this huge identity crisis and be and look just like the world. And not only is that a detriment to them in this life, but it's a detriment to all of those who are looking upon them as Christians and using that as their their litmus test and saying if that's the requirement. If that's the bar, I'm okay. Because I do better than them. I feel like me and God are good. If you, whether you know it or not, you know a lot of people like that. You just do. Almost everybody you know. Very few people will you say, well, will say, well, Oh, God gave up on me a long time ago, this and that. They talk about going to hell with all their buddies and having a good party down there. We used to talk like that at the bar. I didn't say that crap. I knew it was done then. 
But I don't think they even believe that. There may be one once in a while you'll run across that you're like, man, that, that dude's a devil. But Andrew always says that they know when, when he was in Vietnam, all those same guys that laughed and scoffed to him at the Bible studies were the ones that would be crying out to God when the bullets started whizzing over their heads. The ones who embarrassed him and shamed him in public because he he couldn't he couldn't sometimes defend himself against these uh, Harvard guys or whatever who would come and mock him and his Christianity. He couldn't all he knew was you know the scriptures he knew and he couldn't really even think fast enough to come back against some of their arguments. Then they'd seek him out later after they ran everybody off his Bible study laughing at him. They'd come and find him later and tell him, "Man, I want what you have." They need what we have. And we need to exercise what we have more. We need to understand what we have more. Acts 3.16. We all know John 3.16. Seen it at the football game anyway. But Acts 3.16 is powerful. A man was healed completely. And it says, and his name, Jesus' name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Peter and them said, hey, quit looking at us like we did some great thing. It's just the name of Jesus. Faith. This man's faith. They encouraged his faith. And it welled up. And ignited the power of God within him. And he received the victory. That Jesus wants for everybody. Now we have. The authority. To do all that Jesus did. And greater things. I've heard. Silly messages about that scripture in settings or denominational settings, I would say, where there's thousands of people there sitting there on a Sunday morning and they say silly things like, well, if you're here today, then that's where God where it wanted you to be. Sounds good. No matter where you're at, that's right where God wants you to be. Wrong. You see why it's so dangerous to preach these these sacred cow doctrines that they've covered up in the church for so long, those that don't believe in miracles, signs, and wonders for today, they think all the apostles are gone. The first ones, when they died out, that was all over. <coughs> Not true. Not true. Not true. If everything and everywhere everybody is, no matter what, if everything is the will of God and God is sovereign to the point where He is, interferes in every aspect of our life, then what's the point? He just has a bunch of robots and it's already determined anyway. If everybody's sitting in church today is just because that's exactly where God wants you to be, then the crack house people, they're there too because God wanted them there. What sort of hope does that provide for them? 
Isn't it better to know that we have a choice? Once we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, now there's nothing else in that spirit that's binding us to sin. The, Satan has been evicted, his spirit from our... We have no dual nature. That's another lie that's perpetuated by the devil. That sin nature has been evicted, and now the nature of God has moved in, restored, renewed our spirit, perfect and holy. From now on, one-third of our salvation is complete and sealed with the promised Holy Spirit until that time. The time when we, though now we know some things, at some point we'll know all things. That's when our soul will be completely restored and saved. What's in the process now, as you sit here and hear God's truth and believe it, garbage out, truth in. You see? And as you hear these things and go, ah, sometimes it's the same scripture you read 150 times. And then you might see it for the first time, that revelation knowledge, that power comes upon you through that knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you make it your own. And at that moment, you're a little bit more like Christ. But now we have authority over all the power of the devil. Not over the devil himself, but over the power of the devil. Mark 11, it seems like I can't get away from this chapter. Mark 11, I always read Mark eleven twenty four because it tells us how to pray and what to believe and how to receive from God. But today God said, back it up a couple of verses. They were so amazed at what he had done to the fig tree. He said, that's nothing. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. If you break this down, some, some translations say have the faith of God. Or lay hold of the faithfulness of God. Wouldn't that have benefited those ten spies had they laid hold of the faithfulness of God? They had been witness to the faithfulness of God, but they never laid hold to it in their minds, in their heart, did they? Had they been compelled by the faith of God, the faithfulness of God, they would have never doubted that he could defeat those giants. <clears throat> I'm sure it was a pretty scary sight in those days. Those Amalekites. In the land. You know. Giants have been gone for a while. But back then they were, <laughs> they were there. But man. And just like the cluster of grapes was giant, they had to carry it on a pole. This was, this was the land God was giving them. 
He was going to tell them, give them houses that they didn't have to build and all these other things that were already prepared by the enemies of God. He was just giving it to the children of God. But they had no faith in his faithfulness. What's the benefit of taking over the house that a giant lived in? It's a big old house. <laughs> That's awesome. These were like mansions. Mark eleven twenty two through 24. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Jesus makes a real point of explaining this to whoever will ask him for understanding. He'll show you all the saying that he points out in here. He tells us and we tell the mountain. You understand? I, I'm telling you, if you, whoever... Whoever, are we included? <laughs> According to Jesus, you are included. Say, I'm included. I can speak to my mountains. I can speak to the giants in my life. I can speak to sickness. I can speak to debt. I can speak to strife. I can speak to fear and command it. Come on, stick with me. In the name of Jesus. Because it's not a righteousness that I've obtained by the law. It's a righteousness that I obtained by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So don't start just commanding and, and expecting things on because you all of a sudden are the boss. But because the boss is in you. And he loves you. And he's told you this is my formula. Everybody wants a formula. Everybody wants a pattern. Everybody wants a 10 step program. And it's impossible to put God in a box like that. But he does allow for some things. If, we just, if you just are one of those how to people. It's right here. If you don't like what you're seeing, watch what you're saying. <coughs> Pardon me. Be taken up and thrown into the sea. Therefore, I tell you, verse 24, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it already. Believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. God has created a kingdom of opposites here in this world. Opposite to everything in his kingdom. He has called us to a life of faith. And if we want better results in this life, 
We have to learn to cooperate with the law of faith. He says right here, and it wasn't a mistake. He said, believe that you've already received it and it will be yours. We have to, our faith is given to us as a gift from God. And now we're called to strengthen it, to exercise it, and to see it as a servant or a slave that we are to put to work to retrieve the things provided for us by God and send it on its way to do the job and don't let it rest until it completes the task that it's been sent to do. That's how Jesus described it. And I always have to throw in verse 25. Because I think it's the other half of what's wrong with the body of Christ. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. So that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Don't leave doors open for the devil. When you're trying to receive the things that God has for you. It's like me trying to get all God's children to come through the door of that church right here. Open it wide for them to come and then taking a big sofa and stick jamming it in the door so that it can't be moved. You know, or just taking those cinder blocks and blocking them up the door. And still expecting for everyone to come on in. That's what happens when we leave things like this unattended. Unforgiveness is not an option for the children of God. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. That's why most people hate. Oh, I quit going there because all he preached about. Not here. <coughs> I hardly ever preach about money. But I make sure that my people understand it because it's a tool given to us, not for us. We're blessed to be a blessing. Anytime we say, well, God, I don't want anything else. You've done enough for me. That proves that you're in sin thinking that it was for you to start with. The sprinkler will always stay wet. It's good to be a giver. But oh... Kenneth Hagin used to say, if your seed doesn't get your attention, it's not very likely to get God's either. <laughs> Boy, I've given some seeds. Savannah and I, <laughs> I mean, you know, if you don't give, if you won't tithe out of the little bit that you get, when you get big checks, you won't do it either. We've done it with some whoppers to honestly some people that we really didn't feel we should have had to, <laughs> but we didn't even think about it. I mean, thousands of dollars there. And the moment you leave, that devil starts saying, what if that don't work? What if that don't work? Then you're really stuck. You didn't have enough already. And now you took, 
from your lack and made yourself even more broke. If you entertain those thoughts, you are going to remain broke. You have to speak to your mountain. You have to say, devil, let me tell you, what are you going to do when it does? Because it's coming. God is a God of multiplication. Every seed that's planted will produce after its kind more than I more than I sow later than I sow. There is seed time and harvest. But if you don't ever plant seed, no matter how much time goes by, you can expect the harvest from whatever seed you planted. Now, it not only goes for money. Jesus just taught on money a lot because he knew it's something that we covet or think about or need. It's a tool, really. But it works for everything. Everything is in seed form. Our time, our love, our money, our gifts, our physical gifts. Our spiritual gifts, everything is in seed form, and we are stewards of that. Just as if it were a bank account, it's an account that God has put in our care. He's put your body in your care, your time in your care. You see what I mean? And how you spend it is up to you. You have a choice, a free will. But you are going to make reap a harvest from all the seed you sow. If you sow strife, if you sow unforgiveness, if you sow bitterness, if you sow backbiting, you're going to reap a harvest of those things. The good thing about being a Christian is that now that we have the Lord, we can still count on receiving a harvest of all of our, every all the seed that we plant. So when we sow Toward the kingdom, when we do good things, when we when we spend time in relationships and spreading joy and all these things, we're going to reap a harvest, and that's great. But how many of you know that we still make some mistakes as Christians? You know, I know a man that says he has attained perfection. I said, yes, in your spirit, you are per- perfect. You know, we all are once we're sealed. I said, now our soul is being renewed and we, we try and we're working on it, you know, as we allow God. No, in my soul, spirit, soul, and body, I have arrived uh, in thought and deed. I, and I just said, well, I have to pray for you or for me because I haven't reached it yet. But man, that's a... That's scary for someone to believe that. Because, you know, it's not only just doing the right thing. The Bible says it's, it's a sin if we know the right thing to do, yet do it not. I mean, as we all sit here, if we thought for a minute, we could think of a hundred good things we probably should do or could do. Pick up a phone, encourage, you know, just the error of omission. So to claim that is pretty scary for me anyway. <laughs> we all want to be better, <laughs> but I have not arrived there completely in my soul, even though I might be better than 99% of uh, the Christians in the world. <laughs> that 1%, uh, God said, if, uh, if you keep the whole law 
and then you fail at just one point, you're guilty of it all. So we have to better either be perfect or have a Savior who is. Amen? <laughs> so I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And I'm going to learn to walk in the ways of the Lord and to participate in the spiritual laws that he put in place for my benefit. If I don't like what I see, I need to change what I say. And that's, that's what he wants us to know. You know... I heard one time that God was explaining this passage of scripture to somebody and he told him, he said, you know, it would have been perfect. Most Christians would have, would have done a lot better if I would have added two words to that scripture in church. (laughs) In other words, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours in church. He said, because it's not hard. He said, most Christians, they go to church and they shout and they get excited. And it's easy for them to believe that they have everything that I have for them while they're in church. But when they get home, they, they stop talking like Joshua and Caleb and they start talking like the other 10 spies. And he says, that's the problem. They're sowing. They're sowing in the wrong direction and they're reaping a harvest for for all of their words. I want to finish, well, I was just ministering recently on faith. (laughs) Been talking about faith a lot lately because the Lord just continues to ask me to Keep on keeping on. We have a lot of good response. And uh, people around the world are receiving it. Maybe more so than locally. But hey, we're at whatever. Whatever. Anyone that can be helped. Which is the acronym for Grace and Truth Church. To heal, empower, love, and prosper the body of Christ. Through the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. That I'm in. But... The, the woman with the issue of blood, everyone knows the, knows the story. <clears throat> but Kenneth Hagin was a great preacher on faith, and he preached on faith so much that there was a few scriptures in the Bible about faith that people used to jokingly say he wrote. <laughs> but he was with the Lord one time. He was, well, he was... He was at a prayer service at a preacher's house and the Lord appeared to him in a vision. He did that seven times. He wrote a book and and he told him some things about his life and about his ministry and so forth. And then he told, he, he was about to leave and, he, and Kenneth Hagin asked him, he said, Lord, before you leave, can I ask you a question? He said, of course. And he talked about the woman with the issue of blood because this is one of the two people that Jesus said had great faith, remember? And so if you're interested in learning about faith, you need to learn about the centurion and the woman with the issue of blood. Because whatever they did, you know, Jesus, no respecter of persons, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he liked it in her, he'll like it in you. Amen. He said, I've got... I preach about that Mark 5 
The woman with the issue of blood, he said, I preach about that. I got two sermons that I preach on that, two separate messages. He goes, but every time I preach on that, I feel like I left something out. I told him, get a piece of paper, write down these four things. He said, if everybody would do these four things, they would walk in great faith. They would have mountain moving faith and they would see all the things come to pass that they're believing for. And so he did. And he said, he asked Kenneth, he said, what's the first thing that she did? And Kenneth said, the first thing she did was she heard the word of God. And Jesus said, wrong. Someone else told her that. Someone brought the word to her. He said the first thing she did was she said, if I can just touch him. She said, she said, that's number one. She declared. And the way it's written there in the Greek, it says in the continuous form. So it means she just kept on saying it. All the way to Jesus. Once she made up her mind, she said it and she kept on saying it. Our words are our faith talking. You see? And she kept on saying it all the way to the Lord. So our question is to us, what have we heard? What have we heard about Jesus? Now, what are we going to say about it? The word there actually is Legos. <coughs> L-E-G-O-S. Just like the building blocks that the kids play with. <laughs> so she was laying out all the way in the continuous form. She was saying it. Saying it. If I can just touch him, I will be healed. Amen. So she was actually constructing her future as she went. With her Legos. Her words as she spoke. Number two, the Lord said she acted. She acted on it. The moment we act on the word of God, he himself holds himself responsible to perfecting it. Isn't that what it says in Jeremiah 1.12? The Lord said to me, you have said well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. That's what Jeremiah 1.12 says. So when we say well. When we say faith filled words. And we act upon it. Then God hold himself responsible to perform his word. That has been sent out. My word will not return void. But it will complete what I have sent it to do. The third thing he told him. She received. She received from God the things that she had said he would do and acted upon. Then she received. She received the Lord's power. Who who touched me? Who touched me? He said. What did his disciples say? Long story short, they said, Lord, everybody touched you. 
<laughs> We're in a crowd, a big crowd like this. They go, what do you mean? <laughs> in other words, everybody's touching you. One person touched him. One person received power. He felt the anointing go out, power go out from his body. And so she received the results that she claimed she was going to receive and acted upon. She received the power of the Lord, the results she was wanting. She received the change in her body that she had been afflicted with, from which she had been afflicted with for these what, 12 years is what it said. Amen. And the last thing, she told it. She told it. Jesus looked around. They said, everybody touched you. Who touched me? Everybody. But he looked around and he saw her. And she knew that he knew when he saw her. It showed on her face. I'm sure her, everything about her changed. But he saw her and she realized he knew and she came and told him everything. And that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to say it. We need to act upon it. We need to receive it. And then we need to tell about it. We need to talk it up and keep talking about it. A lot of people get their healing. They get their blessing. They go and they find a traveling evangelist that's gifted in a certain area. And he'll ignite their faith and they'll receive their healing right there on the spot. And then he'll come through town a year later and they'll go back to him with that same affliction. I can't tell you how many preachers I know, and that's always been one of their biggest um, pains, their biggest sorrows, is that they can't explain why so many are healed, but don't hold on to that healing. And everything that this ministry is based around, everything I've been talking about today, this identity crisis in the body of Christ, this unwillingness or unawareness. See, there's two kinds of unbelief. There's one that's just from ignorance. And that's an important word when you're teaching the Word of God because it's not as derogatory as the world has made it out. I just want to call you ignorant. That's just a mean thing. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is just uninformed. Ignorant of a certain truth. Unknowing. Untaught regarding a, a specific truth. Well, there's ignorance that causes unbelief. Well, I didn't know that, so how can I believe it? How can you believe the gospel unless somebody is sent to preach to you? Hey, Jesus died for your sin. The other, it's just a, a willful disregard for the truth. And that's the worst kind. <laughs> There's some people that have been sitting in church for 40 years and they still will not cooperate with God regarding the power and provision that He's made for them because 
And they, some have been there for 40 years and they're still ignorant, unknowing, because they're in the wrong place. Others have known and they're spiritually lazy. I've known people that work their fingers to the bone day and night, three, four jobs. Give them spiritual truth, the light goes on, and they're too lazy to do it. There's, there's, a, there's a whole different kind of laziness about spiritual things. I don't know if it's a mindset. They think, ah, I've not, never liked school, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But we need to fill our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. We need to believe the Word of God. Then we need to begin speaking the Word of God. Like I said, our words are our faith talking. So it doesn't take very long to talk to somebody to find out if these are faith-filled words or fear or doubt-filled words. If it's God or the devil... You know, not that you want, oh, you're the devil. (laughs) You probably won't go over very well, but it's true. Every word has power. Every word comes from one side or the other. Is it going to produce life or death? Is it negative or positive? Not to confuse just a positive mental attitude being godly. Because unless unless you're recognizing and depending upon God as the source, then it's just self-righteousness. But you get the point. God has a perfect plan for all of us. And I'm done here, but just want to mention this from, from Jeremiah. Right in the opening words. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Set you apart for my own benefit. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then Jeremiah, listen to what Jeremiah said. Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak. I'm youth. I'm just a kid. I don't have, and he wasn't. He's a grown man. He was young. though. But the Lord said to me. He had mercy on Jeremiah. Jeremiah did just what the ten spies did. I can't. But God might as well have told him, you're right, you can't. I can. And I'm going to do it through you. That's what he told him. I don't know how to speak, for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth. For to you, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. We always have a part to play. There's always an instruction that goes with the, the power and the blessing. John 14, 27. Peace I give to you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's your part. You let fear and, and doubt and worry come in. You recognize those. Jesus said, don't, don't let it. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest there. Mm-hmm. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, 
Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down and destroy and overthrow and build and to plant. Was he literally going to do all those things? Was he a builder and a farmer? And No. He was going to speak all those things. He was going to speak all those things. We are created in God's image. In the beginning, God created everything with his words. He spoke and then he saw. He spoke and then he saw. The same with us. We speak and then we see it. If it were instant, we'd be better at it. But it requires faith. There's seed, time, and harvest. If you believe that you have it when you ask, you will have it. It seems odd, but it's the way that it is. There is time in the spiritual realm. I can prove it. One time Daniel prayed and it took the angel a couple of weeks to get there. And he said, the moment you prayed, God sent me. The prayer was answered. But he had a fight in the heavenlies. There was a battle raging. The prince of Persia and he had to call upon Michael, the archangel, to come and help him. Remember, there's a lot going on around us. Had Daniel gotten out of faith after he prayed and said, we waited even a day or two. Well, I guess God didn't answer. I'm convinced that he would have hindered that prayer. And and that angel might have never broken through. Because our words and our unbelief give authority to the enemy, just like they do to God's angels that are wanting and waiting to work on our behalf. Another time he prayed, and by the time he finished praying that prayer, which took a couple of minutes, the angel was there with his answer. Both times it was answered immediately, but it took time, you see. It's not the same as here, but there is time. I thought that's comforting to know. Because a lot of times people give up on their prayers too soon. Most people pray and you know, if it's not instant <laughs> in this culture, <laughs> we want it now. But I'm convinced because see, if Jesus lied, if he if he said, if you believe what you pray and don't doubt in your heart, you will have it. If that were a lie, everything would come undone. Everything is held together by this word. So if that weren't true, then nothing would be true. And he is the truth. See? So we need to Put our faith to work. Send it out to achieve what God has promised. And don't let it rest until it has. Amen. God has a perfect plan for all of us. We've been set apart for Him. Don't know why. You know, you ever thought about that? What if you were born in Iraq or something? How hard, you know. How blessed are we? I walk into my office this morning and I just picked up my mama's, one of my mama's Bibles was sitting there. And I hadn't, 
Tabanas probably looked all through it, but I do remember I opened it. It was given to my mother by my grandmother. And she had written things, and I, I started looking through just some of the things that I was going to preach on today. And she all underlined and marked up. But we need to remember the lessons from all these people. God didn't put these people in here to embarrass them. You know, it's for our benefit to learn from their mistakes and from their their good deeds. You know, just like the the spies, we need to keep that spirit of Caleb and Joshua. Always have the good report. There's always something good. There's always something to to speak positively about. Especially when you have God. Christian hope is a confident expectation of good from God. We need to believe that God is good and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He's earned that much. And I'm telling you, if we don't like what we see, we need to change what we say and stand believing and only allowing God's word to dominate us. And because right when we leave today, the enemy is going to try to steal this word to get us to do just the opposite, to try to prove what Jesus was joking about when he said, if he, you know, in church, it's all good. But when you get home, you become the 10, you know, Joshua and Caleb in church, 10 spies at home. No, we need to take that spirit of Caleb home with us. You know, Caleb did go into the promised land and he was. About 80 years old, he said, give me that mountain. I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. <laughs> he, still, he was still ready to go on a next adventure with God. And he was confident that God was with him. And no matter what he gave him to do, he would be there with him to help him do it. And that's what we need to believe. And not all, it, it, the evidence of us believing, really believing, is our saying and our acting. Tavon always says, faith has feet. And that's true. It will compel us to do some things, you know, and say some things. So we'll watch over this week what we're saying and what we're doing and seeing if it's really lining up with what we intend to do right this moment. Because I know everybody right now, we're, we're wanting to do better in this regard. We're wanting to step into our true identity and our true authority as believers in Christ. And we can. The moment you agree with God is the moment things start getting better. The moment. And it, it's compartmentalized into lots of different areas. It's like an onion. Pride is like an onion. It's all about pride. Anywhere that we are not ignorant, but we're still unwilling, that's pride. It's a form of self-righteousness instead of dependency on God. And it has a lot of layers like an onion. <laughs> so there may be several areas of your life where you're perfectly in line with God's will and his ways. And then over here, there's just other things that you... It's the kind of things you don't like to talk about. <laughs> you talk about all these other things where you excel in God's will. <laughs> And then the other thing comes up and you skip over that. <laughs> Those are the things he wants you to go tackle with him. Not to make you feel bad, but to free you. Free you up. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right.
Well, praise God. We're just going to stop right there. We never finish. We just stop and start again another day. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for these that have come here today to to grow closer to you and just to be a blessing to other believers and to find out what your plan is for our lives. Lord, help us to embrace these truths. Lord, I know that these are things that you have given me to help the body of Christ. My prayer to you is always that your children be helped, healed, empowered, loved, and prospered. And Lord, I know that it is you that are bringing these things to pass. Help us learn to cooperate with you so that we can achieve all that you have set us apart and written down in your book for us to do before we were ever born as you knitted us together in our mother's womb. We thank you, Father, for loving us so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.